Good morning, everyone. We uh, started a new little mini-series last week. This is the second week. It's called He Has a Name, and we're taking a look at various names of God. Last week, we took a look at what we'll call the foundational, the primary name of God, and we went over the passage from Exodus where God reveals himself to a man named Moses in a burning bush. If you weren't here, briefly and succinctly, uh, God reveals his name in that passage to be I am that I am. Each Asher Each. Now, what's incredibly interesting, incredibly difficult to kind of understand is that right after God says, hey look Moses, do you want to know what my name is? It's I am that I am. He then goes on in the very next verse and for the rest of the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures over 1600 times to refer to himself as this, Yahweh. So he goes from Each to I am, to Yahweh. Now, that kind of looks confusing because there's no vowels. In ancient Hebrew, they didn't write vowels in the written language. Of course, you pronounce them. It's impossible not to. But in the written language, this is how it would appear in the text, Y-H-W-H, and those letters loosely correspond to the Hebrew letters yod heh vah What is taking place is this. Last week, I said it's kind of geeky, and only the geeky grammar stuff will last for like 30 seconds, and then we'll move on. But when God first says, I am, each, he's using the first person verb form of the Hebrew root verb, haya. Haya, haya. Um, that's his first disclosure of his name. But then for the rest of Scripture, for the rest of the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, over 1,600 times, God says, my name is Yahweh. And Yahweh is a kind of modified construction of the third person singular verb of hayah. So what happens is this. When God says Moses in the burning bush, my name is I am, that I am, that's the first revelation. But then for the rest of the scripture, as man approaches God, it's no longer I am, but it's he is. He is. Now, one of the kind of interesting things that God does with his name in the Hebrew scriptures is he slams other words into his name, Yahweh, to create sort of new names that further reveal who he is and his characteristics. So, for instance, you might be familiar with terms like Yahweh Yireh, or some of you have heard of Jehovah Jireh. Uh, Yahweh Yahweh, Yahweh will provide, or Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh is my banner, Yahweh Rapha, Yahweh my healer. And so what God does is he takes other words and smashes them into his, his kind of foundational name, Yahweh, to reveal more about who he is is. Today we're going to be looking at a name that he reveals himself, Yahweh Ra'ah, Yahweh my shepherd. Before we do that, there's, there's something that I want to draw attention to, and it's something that, that has happened in history that God never intended to happen. Um, it's continuing to happen, and despite all of our emphasis on having a personal relationship with Jesus, we do things like this that create distance and destroy intimacy between us and God. Right after God says, my name is Yahweh, this occurs. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So God says, this is my name. It's my name forever for all generations. Don't forget it. What takes place in, in, in a historical time, time frame relatively quickly is that 
the Jewish people wanting to honor God's name and not wanting to take the name of the Lord God in vain, out of reverence and respect, they stop saying his name. Now, if you've been at church a long time, you've heard this. You, you, you've probably heard people in, in olden times respected the name of God so much that they didn't even say it out loud because it was so holy. And when you hear that, it's usually presented as a good thing. And I get this sentiment. I really do. I mean, especially in our culture where there's like zero respect for the name and person of God. So you understand, hey, people a thousand years ago wanted to, to preserve the holy name of God so they wouldn't even let it come out of their mouth and lips. But, but here's the thing. God actually commanded you to say his name. You are supposed to praise the name of the Lord. You are supposed to call upon the name of the Lord. And it might have been well-intentioned, but what occurs is in wanting to honor God, we actually begin to disobey and create distance. God didn't give us his name so we can call him Mr. or Doctor or Sir. He gave us his name. He invites us into an intimate personal relationship. Like Moses, he says, come up the mountain to the sacred place, the burning bush. Let me tell you my name. I will call you by your name. But we all have a tendency to create distance between us and God. It's sort of like the story in Genesis. Um, man rebels against God, the first humans, Adam and Eve, and Adam uh, is hiding from God. And God goes out searching, like, why are you hiding from me, Adam? Oftentimes we think that in the beginning there was no sin, and then, then Adam and Eve rebelled against God, and because God is so holy, he removed his presence and couldn't be next to human beings. That's not how the story goes. Adam sins and rebels against God, but precisely because he is faithful, holy, and just, God goes looking for Adam. Where are you? It is man who runs. It is man who hides. It is man who creates the distance, not God. This is why today is really important. Yahweh Ra'ah, Yahweh my shepherd. God invites us into relationship, into intimacy. He tells us his name and he calls us by name. In order to, to really understand what we're talking about by God revealing himself to be a shepherd, we have to go back to uh, the story that's revealed in Exodus. One thing before we do that, though, I want to read to you Psalm 23, because this is where God actually, what's the most famous passage where God says, uh, my name is Yahweh, my shepherd, but most of you know this passage, even if you're not a Christian, it's probably the most read Bible verse in, in funerals and, and memorials. The Lord is my shepherd, Yahweh Ra'ah, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To understand what we mean by Yahweh Ra'ah, Yahweh Shepherd, again, let's take a look at the Exodus story where this begins to unfold. Moses 
is called up the mountain. He's told to deliver the people out of Egypt. God's people, the Israelites, have been enslaved in Egypt for, several hundred, for, for a few hundred years, and God is going to give Moses this mission to go in his power and his authority to deliver his people from slavery to freedom. God reveals his name to Moses, Yahweh, and then this. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? He said, and then dot, 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 because I don't want to tell you what God says yet. I want you to stop here. There's something incredible going on here. God gives Moses the mission, and Moses' response is, who am I? I'm just a man. You're going to send me into the, to the nation that is the global superpower, and I am going to deliver the masses of Hebrew people and bring them into the wilderness so they can worship you? Now, most good leaders at this point would, would do something. You got, a, you got someone underneath you, whether it's an employee, someone you're mentoring, whatever it may be, but most good leaders at this point begin to, to encourage the person, and especially they might remind them of their qualifications. God might say, Moses, are you forgetting you, you're the man for this job. You are fluent in Egyptian. You are fluent in Hebrew. You speak both language, languages. You are a cultural bridge. You have been now serving as a shepherd in the desert, in the wilderness. No one knows how to survive in the desert situation, in the wilderness, better than you. You are an expert survivalist, a cultural kind of brilliant mind that can bridge the gaps. Talk to Pharaoh. Talk to the Hebrews. You're the guy. You're qualified. I believe in you. Go get him. God doesn't do that. This is all God says to Moses. I will be with you. I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought the people out of Egypt you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses, go. I will lead you. I will give you my presence, and you will come back, and on this very mountain, you will worship me. This is powerful stuff. We'll call this the promise of presence. God doesn't recite qualifications. God doesn't remind you how awesome you are. Oh, you know, you've been training for this all your life. No, I will be with you. The promise of presence, I will lead you. Now, the other thing that's interesting is the only thing that Moses has at this point is, is pretty much his, his shepherd's staff. And God says, like, I'm going to use this staff. I'm going to use you, Moses, and, and through you and the, the shepherd's staff, I am going to work powerful signs in Egypt. Now we know what, what Moses has been doing. He fled Egypt for his life, and then he winds up in the, the Midian desert. He gets married, having the family life, living the ordinary life. God calls him to the extraordinary, but for a big chunk of time, Moses is a shepherd. He's tending the flock. In fact, when God takes him up to the burning bush, the text tells us Moses was, was tending to the flock. He was helping the sheep find food. That's what he's been doing. But God says, through your staff, I am going to work the miraculous. Now, there's some things, though, that you have to understand. Because many of us, when you think about a shepherd, you automatically think of, like, the wrong picture. At least if you're like me. I think, oh, a shepherd with sheep. 
I think of like a great big flat terrain and it's just full of green grass and there's cute, you know, the cute little baby lammies. They're walking around and there's a shepherd. He's got like a long white robe on and he's like singing them little songs and they're just eating, having the time of their life and it's like an all-you-could-eat buffet for the sheep. There's just green pasture everywhere. That may be the case for some shepherds, but in the world of Moses, in the world of the Exodus, the terrain, especially the terrain and geography that God is about to bring the people into, doesn't look like that. It looks kind of like that, like this. It is dry, it is desert, it is rocky, there's mountains. You can see right here on this hill, there's little trails. These are the paths that shepherd would lead the sheep on. Um, and if you go to Israel today and you go to the desert areas, you'll see these paths, and they're the paths that have been walked for thousands of years. The shepherd leading the sheep, trying to be on a path to find pasture. Here's a picture. You see a bunch of animals. They're out. They're looking for food. These are pictures that I took when I was in Israel. But again, you can see a shepherd has to leave sh- the sheep through some harsh terrain in order to find some food. Now, if you're lucky, you find a spot like this, which is pretty cool, and you go, oh man, there's there's lots, there's probably water there, there's lots of greens for the the sheep to eat, but you got to understand that, like, that's that's rare. It happens, and if a shepherd were to to lead the sheep to this area, it may last for three, four, five, six days, but then the greens are gone, and you have to go up, and you have to find new food. So in other words, there's times where there's abundance, but for the most part, Sheep are having to follow the voice of the shepherd in order to survive. Here's a picture of a modern-day shepherd guiding the sheep. Again, it's rocky, it's dry, there's not very many greens. If you are a, a lamb, you're part of the flock, you must listen and hear the voice of the shepherd If you go into the desert, if you go into the wilderness, and you cease to hear and cease to listen to the voice of the shepherd, you die. If you are a human being going into the wilderness, unless you have an expert survivalist kind of tracking with you, you are going to die. It is very difficult to survive. Now, the word shepherd is interesting because it shares some similar roots with some other Hebrew words, and one of the roots it shares is with the Hebrew word for word, similar to the word shepherd. And the reason most likely for that is shepherds are in the business of speaking, using their voice to guide the sheep. Oftentimes people think that the staff that he has is there to kind of like smack the sheep around and make sure they stay on the path. And sure, there's times where the shepherd might use some force or to push or to prod, but the, the shepherd's staff has a big kind of wooden knot on top. The shepherd has the staff primarily as a walking stick, but second to defend from predators. When the wolves come, when the predator animals come, the shepherd has to defend the flock. We see King David doing this on some instances. The shepherd uses his voice to guide his sheep along the paths that they might find pasture. If the sheep fail to listen to the voice of the shepherd, they die. They do not make it. And the sheep have to trust the shepherd to provide day by day by day. In the Hebrew desert, there is no all-you-can-eat buffet pasture. You have to go from place to place, little by little, trusting the shepherd's 
guidance. Now, Moses has been doing this for quite some time after he left Egypt. God calls him, promises his presence, gives him the staff, says you're going to do the miraculous, and Moses ends up doing that. He delivers the people of, of, of Israel, the Hebrew children, out of the bondage, out of slavery in Egypt, and then they're taken into freedom. But here's the crazy thing. Before they ever get to the promised land, they have to do this 40 years thing of wandering around in the desert. And right after the Hebrew children cross the Red Sea, they find their, they, they enter into freedom for the first time. They're in the wilderness, and God does some crazy things. It's almost as if Moses has been tending a flock made of sheep, and now God is bringing them back into the desert with a different flock that he must learn to guide day by day by day. Listen to how the story is told. They've just crossed the Red Sea. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. The biblical authors are master storytellers. They know what they're doing. You have to pay attention to the detail. How long can you live without water? Give or take, rough estimate. Three, four days, depending upon the situation. Uh, maybe the, 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 the Hebrew children brought, some, brought a little bit of water, and so you could say, well, they could have made five, five days. They're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. It's a different situation. The text is letting you know this for a reason. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. In other words, they are dehydrated and to the point of death. How do we know that? Look at what happens. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried out, if you were here last week, cried out, keyword, Za'aka. He cries out on behalf of the people. And the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Now, a lot of people get caught up, like, What's going on with the log? What's, what's, that's that's not, not the point. God just wants to show Israel that it is he that has led them to this very point, and it is he that is providing. Then God says, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes, I will put none of the pains on you that I put on the Egyptians. For I am Yahweh, Rapha actually, Yahweh, your healer. Then they came to Elam, where they were where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So, the Israelites get brought into the desert, and they're following Moses. It's been three days without water, and they're crying out. They're grumbling against the Lord, and God then provides for them. It's almost as if God led them to a point where they had to rely on God and God alone. There's no other water. Unless God provides for us, we are done. So that's episode one. And what happens immediately after this in the Exodus story? The same thing with a twist. They set out of Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. Again, they're master storytellers. They put details in there for a reason. It's the 15th day of the second month. Why is that important? We know from a few chapters earlier in Exodus that the Israelites roughly crossed the Red Sea around the 
15th day of the first month. <clears throat> In other words, it's been a month since they've crossed the Red Sea. We know that after they crossed the Red Sea, there was three days where they're looking for water. God miraculously provides, and now they've been going on for roughly a month, and they haven't ate. They need food. They are starving. You could go three days without water. How long could you go without food? It depends, but for these people, probably a month before you really, really, really start being you know, taken to the point of death. How do I know they're really hungry and to the point of death? And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us to this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. They think they're going to die. Now, people and pastors, they, they always like give the Israelites a hard time. God just, just done the miraculous, and they're already grumbling against the Lord. Come on, you say you're starving when you skip lunch and it's dinner time. You go, oh, I'm so starving. I can't wait any longer. You start getting grumpy. It's been six hours and you're grumpy, okay? So they've gone a long time. They haven't had food, and God brings them to the point where they have no other hope except God's provision. And what does God do? Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. God provides bread at the hour of need. And then he says, I will continue to do so day by day, but you're not to take an abundance. You're just to take enough to get by. It's almost as if the prayer of the Hebrews was supposed to be, give us this day our daily bread. Now, there's a third episode. Same thing occurs. These are one right after each other. Remember, they're beautiful storytellers. The author is weaving these historical facts together. Third, third episode. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there is no water for the people to drink. And the people all said, God has provided again and again so we will trust him like never before. Verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Now what do you think God does? He provides. He miraculously provides water once again. But listen to the response. Moses says, And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is Yahweh among us or not? What did God promise Moses and Israel? His presence. His presence. I will be with you. If you grew up in church, this 40-year period of the Israelites, and this, this kind of goes on for 40 years, if you grew up in church, you know it as like the wilderness wanderings. And there's good reason for that. The Bible actually calls this the period of the wilderness of the wilderness wanderings, but it only does so a few times, actually. And, and what's incredibly interesting is that in those few instances where this is called wandering, it's usually from the perspective of Israel, the human beings. But you have to look at this from a different angle. In a human's mind, from a human angle, from man's perspective, this is useless, pointless, wandering around in a desert for 40 years. Useless, pointless, wandering for 40 years. 
from God's perspective, it is not wandering. He, like a shepherd, is leading them day by day by day. From pasture to pasture, from water to water. He is like a shepherd leading them in the desert. Now you might say, that's a nice way of looking at it, but you just said the Bible actually calls it wilderness wanderings. Yes, but later on, as the story goes on in the Old Testament, when the biblical authors reflect back on the wilderness wanderings, you better believe they look at it as God like a shepherd leading his flock. Psalm 77. After recounting the Exodus story, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Psalm 78, 52, 53. 52 verses before that are retelling the entire Exodus story, and then when it gets to the point where the Israelites go into the desert, the psalmist says this, then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid. There's some Jewish traditions that actually look at, and if you're familiar with the story, God will um, come down in fire and smoke in the Old Testament, and he'll stay with the people of Israel for some time, and then the, 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 the fire, the smoke, the pillars will go off and leave, and Israel would follow. Well, the, the kind of fire and smoke is always anthropomorphized, and so it'll talk about then, then the pillar stood up. And there's ancient Jewish talk about how even in this appearance, God is trying to appear like a shepherd guiding them in the wilderness. Now, the good news is, is that it's not just like God was a shepherd for 40 years and then he quit that profession and changed jobs. He became a carpenter. It's not how it works. God says that he's always like a shepherd to his people. So, Psalm 95, not talking about the Exodus, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. What an interesting image, right? We are the sheep of his hand. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Listen to this, incredibly beautiful. Isaiah 40, 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. What is God like? He's like a shepherd holding a a small lamb tight in his arm next to his heart. Now Moses would go on and do the shepherd thing, but Moses, like every human leader, is a failed leader. He's a flawed leader. And so he slips up and he's not perfect. And towards the end of the book of the law, the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and towards the end of Moses' life, God speaks to Moses and, and says to say this to the people. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. God is going to raise up another leader like Moses, and his words, God's words, will be in this shepherd's mouth. Now flash forward. Hundreds of years later. Flash forward hundreds of years later. And you get to Jesus. 
young Jewish prophet proclaiming the kingdom of God. And he says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Then he goes on to say this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. My sheep hear my voice, and they listen, and I give them life, and I put them in my hand, and nothing in heaven or hell can take them from my hand. And Jesus picks up the shepherd, shepherd motif and theme. And when you understand all that is going on in the Old Testament about the shepherd and the raising up of another prophet, you begin to see that Jesus uses this language all over the place. If you're familiar with the Gospels, you know the stories of like the sheep and the goats. You know the story of the lost sheep. Or you're familiar with the story when Jesus, up, Jesus raises up a girl from the dead. He says, Talitha kumai in Aramaic, arise little lamb. But it's not just in the obvious ones. They're, they're, they're everywhere. So in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, without any of this shepherd talk and, and kind of where we're going, this already is one of the most beautiful things in all of Scripture. Jesus coming, saying, come to me. I can give you rest. But you need to know that people in Jesus' day had the Old Testament like on lockdown. Jesus had the Old Testament memorized. Majority of the religious leaders would have the majority of the Old Testament memorized. And your kind of average religious Jew would still have major portions of the Old Testament memorized because they're saturated in it. There's not like new movies coming out every Friday. There's, there, you're just doing the same thing again and again and again, and you tell these stories again and again and again. You tell the Passover story every year again and again and again. And this is kind of sad, but it's true. The closest cultural equivalent we have to this of being saturated in something is like Disney movies, where if I say a line from a song, a Disney song, like 75% of you, just I don't even have to sing it. I could just say, I will show you the world. Look at you whispering, just making sure you know it. <laughs> Have you ever heard the wolf cry? How many of you know it? Just raise your hand if you recognize one or two of those. If you're a parent and you have kids that are under the age of 15 right now, you for sure know this. My daughter got into the song, It's, it's a Small World After All. Man, that only has one verse. It's just on repeat the whole time. You know the ride at Disneyland. It's like seven minutes, and by the end, you just want to smash those puppets. You're ready to get out of that boat and just break necks. You're just over it. They're saturated in the Old Testament. So who in Hebrew thought can give you rest? Only God can. And I'm not just saying that like making a cheap connection. God actually claims to be the one who can give you rest. Exodus 33, 14, and he said, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, come to me, 
and I will give you rest. Then the second line that I underline, he says, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Is this phrase anywhere in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures? Of course it is. Jesus thinks only in Old Testament categories. And Paul the Apostle thinks in those categories. Sometimes they're quoting the Old Testament and they may not even be aware of it. It's just how they think and talk. You will find rest for your souls. Jeremiah 6.16 Thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths. What are the ancient paths that are next to the roads? Those are the ones that shepherds and people and travelers have used for thousands of years. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. God says, I've created a path for you. Walk in this and I can give you rest. Rest for your soul. Not just an eight-hour sleep cycle. I can give you rest for your soul. And in Jeremiah's day and in Jesus' day and in our day, the collective response of humanity is, we will not walk in it. In other words, we, like sheep, have all gone astray. Every last one of us. We do not listen to the shepherd's voice. We do not follow his lead. All of us have made our own path, and our own path leads to death and destruction. But lucky for us, we don't have a shepherd who says, you stupid sheep, you strayed from the path I was leading you, I was calling your, vo- calling your name, you heard my voice, and you didn't listen. We have a different shepherd. We have the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So when Jesus comes as the good shepherd and all the sheep have gone astray, he doesn't come to rub it in our faces or to leave us abandoned. But the good shepherd lays down his life in order that we might be saved. The good shepherd calls us by name, finds us, and brings us back into his flock. And I know there's so many people here who were so far, so far. Everyone around you said, there's no way that sheep is going to survive. No way that lamb's going to survive. They are dead in the wilderness, but the good shepherd sought you out. He sought you from heaven, called your name, and brought you safely back into the flock. Now here's the twist. God doesn't just say, welcome back to the pasture where there's an all-you-can-eat buffet of nice green grass for you little sheep to snack on. You'll have no worries. There'll never be any danger, for I'm your shepherd. I always will protect you. What the shepherd does is he tells us to go into the world, the wilderness, the dangerous place, the broken, fallen world we live in. And he tells us to go out with the love of God, with the love of Christ and the good news of the kingdom. Jesus says, I send you out like sheep among wolves. He sends you in to the wilderness where there's predators because Let's be real. The world is a fallen, evil, broken place. There's danger everywhere. But you're not to live in fear and to be afraid of everything and never leave the safety of the pasture because if you stay there, you die anyway. It dries up. You go out 
and you follow the shepherd. Why? Because he's given you the promise of presence. And at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. I am with you always to the end of the age. God finds you, brings you back into the flock, and then you get set on mission, following the shepherd in the wilderness, and he says, here's the good news. You will have trouble, you will have turmoil, but I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Follow me. What is God like? It's like a shepherd. Yahweh Ra'ah. The Lord is my shepherd. Now out of this, some, some quick thoughts, lessons from the shepherd. One, and the, kind of the point of this series, is God has given you his name, and he knows your name. He calls you by name and puts you in his hand, and like a shepherd, watches over you. We have this massive emphasis in our kind of Christian culture at having a personal relationship with Jesus, but for all the talk about it, the majority of us, if we're honest, we create distance between us and God. We have hurts and pains and insecurities. We have shame and guilt. And rather than going to God, hearing the voice and like a little lamb following the shepherd, we create distance. It's like Adam in the garden all over again. Adam, what, where are you? Why are you hiding? Like Moses, God comes to us, calls us by name and says, go up the mountain, come to the burning bush. Let me tell you my name. Come, sit with me. Come to my table. Commune with me. I know all those things that are wrong with you. I'm not going to tell you your qualifications, but I'll give you my presence. Second, and probably most important, um, shepherds in Jesus' day in that region led, led the flock day by day by day from place to place to place. You didn't just get to stay put, but you, you, you had to trust God. And God doesn't promise abundance, although there's times where there is abundance. You pray for daily bread, and you seek his kingdom above all else. And that's a very difficult thing to do. And I mean that on multiple levels, emotionally, spiritually, financially. Some of you have, have been put to the point, say financially, where you, you thought it couldn't get any worse. And God didn't promise you a brand new house or a brand new car, but he asked you to trust him with just enough to make it that day. And the reason why you're here is he gave you just enough grace to make it to the next day. On an emotional level, as a pastor, I've been with many of you in some of your darkest, darkest times. Been there when spouses have died, when dads have died, when moms have died. And I've seen you brought low where you're going, God, this is the valley of the shadow of death. It cannot get any worse. And some of you have never completely healed from that. And in this life, you may never completely heal from that. And God doesn't promise you that. But he gave you just enough grace to get to the next day. Just enough. And he says, trust me, trust me. I know it seems like you're wandering around pointlessly in a barren desert wilderness. I know it seems pointless. It's not. I'm leading you like a shepherd. Trust me. Trust me. Follow me. 
just enough to get by. And third, God doesn't promise safety. But because of the trust that you're putting in him, he leads you into places that you would not normally go. And in those situations, you have to trust that the Lord has you in mind. He loves you. He cares for you. He knows your name. He knows every hair on your head. And you trust the shepherd. God has given you his name. He knows your name. He says, trust me for daily bread. And even though I may take you into very tricky, dangerous places that you would not want to go, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, with all of that, I want to return to where we started off, where God tells us his name and expands on it. Yahweh Ra'ah. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isaiah 40, 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. What is God like? He's like a shepherd, leading you day by day by day. If you don't know Jesus, the Bible says you're like a sheep that's gone astray. And it's the most simple thing and most difficult thing at the same time. You say, Lord, I, I want to follow you. I don't want to go my own path. I want to... I you to lead me. Forgive me of my rebellion, my, my, my strain, my distance, Lord. I want to follow you. And that's simple, but it's difficult because the Bible says, you know, you have to take up your cross daily. It takes a commitment to follow Jesus because he doesn't just leave you in an easy pasture. But some of you might need to make that commitment today. Lord, I want to follow you. I trust you. Thank you for being the good shepherd dying in my place. And for most of you, I assume, in this room, the majority of you, but surely not all, are, are, are Christians. But maybe you've been following the shepherd from a distance for quite some time, and you just need a time to, to repent and ask God for forgiveness. You're still listening. You hear us calling your name, but man, you're the, la- you're, you're the last in line. You say, God, I want to know you more. I want to see your beauty more. So as we close, let's pray about those, those two things, and the worship team's going to come up and use this time to surrender to God, to to repent of your distance, to draw near to him. Father God, um, if there are people in this room who who do not know you, do not know your name, who haven't sought you, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to you right now, that they would commit to being a follower of Jesus. They would accept your grace and forgiveness. Lord, and I pray for all of us who who maybe have been Christians for quite some time, but for those of us in the room who, who, who are barely listening to the voice, we're falling from a distance. Lord, forgive us. Help us to rush forward, to be as close to the shepherd as possible. Help us to cling to his robe. Say, I'll follow you wherever you lead. And we thank you, Lord, that even though we all, like sheep, have gone astray, you came down as a good shepherd and laid down your life for us. Lord, we love you. We give you. This day, it is the day that you have made. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.